0: Spurscast episode 572. My name is Paul Garcia and I am your host here on the Spurscast. Today I'll be speaking with product Spurs writer John Diaz about the Spurs' play in their last four games, the injuries for LaMarcus Aldridge and Yaka Pertle, and the Spurs' small ball lineup with Rudy Gay at the five. Let's get this episode started. John, how are you doing today?
1: You you know me I'm a news junkie and literally five minutes before I got on they're talking about a presumed case of coronavirus near Fort Bend County so you know me I'm in Houston and that's that's a little too close for home so time to move man
0: actually right after it <laughs> right right before I started texting you I just got that update as well so um, yeah I mean best of luck man I mean we're, I live here in San Antonio you know it's obviously we made national news. Uh, you know, just uh, recently this week with the, with the whole case of the of the woman who had coronavirus, yeah. you know, walking around North Star Mall, so we had North Star Mall trending uh, on Twitter. So, you know, we'll see. You know, it's, it's obviously not something to, to joke about, just because there has been some, you know, um, you know, people that have passed away from the, from it, and the death c- toll keeps going. Fortunately, but uh, Spurs cast sisters, we're here to talk about some basketball. That was a really weird way to start the episode, John. <laughs> <Let's
1: keep going. laughs> You're welcome. Um, You're welcome. Anyway, uh, so yeah,
0: so John and I are, are going to talk here about the Spurs. Uh, so the last time I recorded with Benjamin Bornstein was a week ago. And the Spurs had only played two games after the All Star break. Now, though, um, you know they've they've played four games since then. Um, you know they had a three game homestand. Then they they played their, they played a road game in it. One of them was a back to back. So first, let's go back to last Wednesday. They're they're, they're hosting Dallas. Uh, there's Nola Marcus Audridge in this game, and the Spurs lose to Dallas by six points. But they were really down by nineteen. So that that game, um, you know, they fell apart really early there. Then on Saturday, the Spurs were at home again. They hosted the Orlando Magic. And on that night, the uh, magic, um, I mean, the Spurs won by one. It was a close, close win for them. Uh, They led by 16 at at one time, uh, San Antonio, but Orlando obviously made it, made it a ball game there in the fourth. Uh, then on Monday they hosted the uh, Indiana Pacers, the Spurs for the first time this season. They played the Pacers. They lost by five. Uh, this is a game where it's like almost like a seesaw, where the Spurs, um, you know, led by eleven early, and then they ended up falling behind by fifteen. Though they did lose by just five. And then on the on the next night, the Spurs had to fly to Charlotte and play in, um, you know, Charlotte against the Hornets, where they get a one point win. Uh, they they fell behind by seventeen in this game, but they ended up uh, they were able to come back in the second half and uh you know get a victory uh on their records so uh the spurs overall john um oh one thing i forgot to mention about the charlotte game was that it was actually coach timmy who took over um right before the game um the spurs announced that coach popovich was going to miss the game due to personal business and then uh, coach tim duncan was the head coach and then we saw you know becky hammond we saw will hardy helping him out there mitch johnson uh they were all, all as well helping him out so john i know it's a lot of uh you know um notes and stuff uh, just kind of take it where you want with this conversation
1: yeah, uh, 2 and 2 without LaMarcus isn't too bad uh, considering everything else that's gone on this season. Um it's not thrilling to win those two games by two points. You kind of see how they they got lucky in the Orlando game cuz you burn two timeouts and then you turn the ball over only for Evan Fournier to miss that layup. The Charlotte game is not as surprising. I would have liked it to not have been as close, but Charlotte's one of the worst offenses in the NBA. Uh, I've, I've watched a lot of the Hornets this year, unfortunately, and it's, it's little things like if, if your guys aren't taught to foul in that situation, that's something that where, where Charlotte is record wise and how bad the offense has been, even though they've performed better in the last week, trying to up the pace and get some of the younger guys minutes. Uh, it could cost James Borrego his job, depending on how patient the Hornets really want to be. Um, on the other side of it, the whole Coach Timmy thing, I know a lot of people were upset that Becky didn't get, you know, the the whole interim tag for the night, whatever you want to call it. And I don't think I've ever seen so many people so angry that a guy that's a five-time NBA champion, two-time MVP winner, and soon-to-be a basketball Hall of Fame inductee was coaching a regular season game in March on the road at the back end of a back-to-back. And that's no slight against Becky, but I understand people People are probably afraid that if Becky doesn't get that opportunity, it's probably going to lead to her coaching somewhere else. And let me tell you, you don't need to be afraid of her leaving. You should be happy if she leaves because that's another Spurs coach somewhere else inside the NBA that Pop has developed. If your fear is, hey, she didn't get to coach in march against the Hornets, I don't think she cares that much, let alone anyone else in the organization. These guys have – we've talked about this constantly about the database – And the procedures this team uses that it doesn't matter who's going to be calling the plays, who has the final say, whose name is in there addressing the media. They're going to run the same stuff, abide by the same principles and the same plays they always have. This isn't going to be Tim is going to go out there and head coach and Kelvin Johnson is going to get 40 minutes. It's none of these. I just don't get why people are so adamant about Becky or why not Will Hardy? Will Hardy has been with the organization 10 seasons. And it's kind of funny that they came out today. uh, Woj had a podcast Mm -hmm. with former Austin Spurs head coach, Austin Torres at the time, Taylor Jenkins. And he had a quote. I don't want to like mess it up too much. He goes, when you're an assistant, you find your coaching voice. When you get that head coaching job, you're the final one to speak. And it's ultimately, what are you going to say? And Mm -hmm. Becky has what she's going to say already. She coached in summer league. She won a championship in summer league. Will Hardy's been coaching in summer league for multiple seasons. I think that's an opportunity for Tim to find his coaching voice to see if he really wants to do this long-term. And as Tim said in the postgame yesterday, it's a collaborative effort. It it doesn't matter who's calling the plays at the end. He's just standing around a little more than the others, holding onto his belt like he always does. He may Mm -hmm. have the final say here and there, and he may chew a player out like the guys said, but this is still what does Becky want? What does Becky think? What does Mitch think? What does Will think? All these guys... I mean, good Lord, Will Sevening holds a clipboard and calls timeouts and tells you when there's fouls to give. I've seen it on the sidelines. Like, Mm. we don't need to panic over Tim coaching one game in March when this team isn't probably going to make the playoffs. I just – I don't get the whole outrage. But anyway, I don't want to get too long-winded on that. I just (laughs) – I I had to – it was just really frustrating yesterday to see the reaction on Twitter. And I'm just like, hey, if Becky leaves, she leaves. But this whole thing of her – of letting her coach in March so she can – stay here and take over for pop she's probably going to still take over for pop anyway if she doesn't go anywhere let's relax we don't think timmy's going to be coaching for the next 20 30 years
0: yeah for for me you know at the end of the day john uh who gets that win again on the record at last night's win pop Pop. it's all (laughs) coach pop who got you know who got all those that year that luke walton took the warriors you know to that that early season streak it was all steve kerr who got exactly got the record like it hasn't and luke's turned it into two
1: jobs since then
0: yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, either way, whether whether it was it would have been Tim or Becky or, or Will Hardy, I would have been you know, I would have been I'm, I'm cool with either one because, like I said, at the end of the day, on, on paper, it's going to go as as a as a win for Coach Popovich. It doesn't go on either um, Tim Duncan's record or or anyone else. You know, a, a, a prior assistant coaches, I remember Tori Messina he used to used to do that back in the past. So yeah, I didn't make too big of a deal, even though you know I was the one who actually like not, not broke it because the Spurs obviously informed me uh, and, and the media, but I was the first media member to have it. So you know, one of my phone just started lighting up with all these notifications of a, of you know, just like like you said, like a lot of um you know different, different takes, um, from, from either, you know, people, you know, defending Tim Duncan coaching people that wanted Becky Hammond to coach. Uh, so yeah, there was, and I don't, I didn't see any Will Hardy takes that's for sure. Um, in, in those mentions. So, um, yeah, so, so they end up winning the win, uh, the Spurs. And so now they are 26 and 34, uh, overall 11th out in the West, um, with 22 games left. You mentioned John, you know, you don't think that they probably are going to make the playoffs Right now, they have one of the toughest paths to get there, so I just want to kind of update the Spurs cast listeners where they stand. Uh, right now, they if let's just say Memphis goes on and win forty games like they're projected to do, the Spurs would need to go fifteen and seven to to basically jump by the Grizzlies and, and get that eighth seed. And what's tough about that is the fact that not only is is are the Spurs trying to get to catch Memphis, the Kings are there, the Pelicans are there, the Blazers are all there, and they actually have easier paths ahead, uh, or as far as how many wins they need and losses allowed. So right now, it's actually the Kings who only need thirteen wins and eight losses to uh, catch Memphis. Although they do have a tougher schedule than. Um, than the Pelicans and the Blazers and the Spurs. Then behind them it's the Pelicans who need a, who have to go fourteen and seven to get the eighth seed. They have they have one of the easiest schedules. They have the twenty eighth easiest schedule according to Tankathon. Uh, the Blazers right behind them who need to go fourteen and six. Uh, you know and and I should I should say that we are recording this John on Wednesday evening. So if any of these teams play and there's some results change then we know why. Yeah. Uh, and they have an easy schedule as well. Twenty seventh and the Spurs there they are at fifteen and seven. Uh, they got to go the rest of the way and and again twenty fifth schedule they have one of the easier schedules. So again you know just based on. Right now, my money would be on, on either Memphis or New Orleans, just because Memphis has one of the toughest schedules. They actually have the second toughest schedule left in, left in the league. So, if I had to put my money on someone, I would probably put New Orleans to get that eighth seed. Or even right now, the Kings actually look like they have a pretty viable path toward yeah. viable. I'm using political language here, anyway. Um, yeah. So, so what do you think? Are you still are you, are you kind of in agreement with me? Like right now, you know, the Spurs are still in play, but right now it looks like a long shot for them.
1: Yeah, they, they've got a long way to go, and I I don't think it's going to be New Orleans. I think it's going to be Memphis more than anything, not only because they've got that leg up already, but Brandon Clark should be coming back soon. He's been out the last two weeks. Uh, Josh Jackson, who I absolutely thought the Spurs could have tried to take a flyer on, has been playing great in his absence, and Jaron Jackson Jr. should be back soon, even though they've got the second strongest schedule the rest of the way. That, that's a tough team to beat. Sacramento's uh, is 9-3 and three in their last 12. Didn't predict that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've got the 17th strongest schedule coming up. Uh, the the other one for me is going to be Portland. Portland to watch tonight, Wednesday night that we're recording this. Lillard comes back tonight and they're right ahead of San Antonio. I haven't looked at New Orleans or Phoenix because obviously the Spurs are just a couple losses away from being the third worst team in the West. Yes. Uh, New Orleans is obviously, you know, People probably want to see that Zion LeBron matchup in round one. And New Orleans has played great and they've got a great, you know, offense. They one of the fastest teams in the league. If I'm not mistaken, oh wait, no, never mind. Uh, uh they play Minnesota today. I'm I think. We're not entirely sure. I'm trying to daily fantasy stuff is in my head right now. So yeah, <laughs> anyway. But yeah, uh, I, I think it's gonna be Memphis, just with Ja, once you get Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson healthy. They've got Jonas Valanciunas. Dylan Brooks has become a really good player. Kyle Anderson, even though he got blocked by Trey Young a couple of nights ago, uh, he's actually been playing pretty well. So I, I think Memphis is the team to beat. And I think the Spurs are just going to have to uh, basically just admit that they're not going to make it. And I think we saw that after the Dallas, the OKC loss and the Dallas loss that it, the locker room was kind of just, they they kind of understood they accepted it. And maybe yeah. that's a good thing that they accepted. they, won't play with this stress of making the eighth seed anymore. And they can play better, but doesn't exactly correlate into a playoff spot.
0: Yeah. And the toughest thing is like, you know, they just can't have like these weeks. Like, you know, we're coming together on this podcast where again, they went two and two, they went 500. They cannot afford to go 500 right now at this point of the season. Yep. And I know they have an easy schedule, But again, you know, they have to win these games. It's just there's no there's no, you know, to get in the playoffs, they have to go. Like I said, they have to go 15 and seven. And and like Ben mentioned last week, this team has not shown us that they can get more than a three game winning streak put together. And that's they're going to have to get, you know, four or five game winning streaks sometime uh, in order to to make that in these final 22 games. And so um, the flip side of that, John, is that, you know, you mentioned it right there. You actually brought up the Suns. The Spurs are actually, you know, if they don't make the playoffs, well then they then we look at, you know, where are they projecting the lottery. As of right now, according to Tankathon dot com, they are twelfth in the lottery odds. They would land the twelfth pick, should I say. Uh, you know, uh, they could actually um, end up 13th in the West, like you mentioned. Phoenix is not far behind them in their yep. overall record. Phoenix is only 24 and 38. They're kind of right there with San Antonio. I feel like the two teams who are pretty safe of like getting the best odd out West are the Warriors, of course, you know, 14 and 48, and then of course um, the, the, the Timberwolves are at 18 and 42. So I don't think that San Antonio could lose enough games to to catch those two teams in the losses. But I think they could definitely get you know up to you know becoming 13th in in the Western Conference standings by the time the season ends if things go go badly for them. And of course, that would be that the benefit it would be that you get a better chance of get, at getting up either top four pick or even the first overall pick. So what do you think about their lottery odds as well?
1: We we have to mention that Memphis got the second overall pick last year with 33 wins. So, it, mm-hmm. you know, just if people want to freak out over, hey, you should have tanked sooner if you weren't going to make the playoffs, you know, the, these lottery balls, no one's going to be able to project that. And granted, this is a weak draft, but if that ends up falling into a top five pick, hey, it worked out for all the better anyway. So I don't think, you know, people poo-pooing on the season, and wanting you know to go get LaMelo Ball or James Wiseman at, at one or two. like Memphis got Jot to and won 33 games. It can happen either way. So yeah, for sure. it, it, it's one of those things where we, we just don't know how that's going to play out. But obviously you want your chances to be higher. You want to lose more to get better chances. But these guys aren't going to purposely lose, especially with Pop and with these veterans on the roster. They have something to play for next year. DeMar's got a contract to play for. So does LaMarcus. Perdle, all these guys, regardless of injuries, they're playing for jobs. They're not playing to go tank and get a, a high pick and then go to the, Euro- the League or another team somewhere else or on, or on a minimum contract, you know. So it, it's just one of those things like it's a double edged sword at this point, And it is what it is. If they don't make the playoffs, hey, at least they'll be at a lottery team for the first time. And that's another great piece that they can build around.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then uh, you know, Michael Dillon put this on Twitter. How um, he thinks that even if they get a lottery pick, that they'll um, that that they'll put him in Austin. That player. <laughs> you know, that's just the yeah, way. Yeah, you can't. Uh, and, and Spurs, and someone for me to cover. About that. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, exactly. So I know. Uh, uh, so let's move on to the second topic. You kind of hinted at it, and that's kind of you know the Spurs have you know as. as 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 bad as the Spurs have played is this year, they've actually stayed healthy most of the year. They haven't really had a lot of injuries to have to deal with this year. Um, you know, early on in the season, they, they did have to watch Dejounte Murray, and that was more of conservative, just making sure that he was getting back. You know, getting his legs back under him after being out all year. Well, now the injury bug finally bit the Spurs um, here toward the end of the year. Um, it's not a it's not a serious injury, but Lamarcus Aldridge has slowly missed um, four games in a row now with a right shoulder strain. He's basically been listed as day to day. Every every night that the, that the injury report comes out, he's uh, he's usually li- listed as doubtful or questionable, and then it ends up being that he's not going to play. So he's missed four games in a row. He might be back by the next game. I think it's on Friday. Uh, and then Jakob Purtle the is a big one where um, uh, the Spurs recently um, announced that you know um, he has a right MCL sprain. Uh, They didn't they didn't give an injury timeline, but Jakob went on his own Facebook page and said that he's going to be out two to four weeks. It looks like Uh, it's a grade two sprain, according to Jakob. And that's usually about the amount of time that a player with a grade two sprain misses that amount of time. Uh, And so, um, you know, they're they're, they're the only bigs right now. If Aldridge doesn't play in their next game is uh, Drew Eubanks, who we've seen start the last two games and also start the second half when Pertle got hurt. Um, he's played now in 11 total games. They have Chemezi Metu, but he's been a, on Austin. Even with these injuries, they've kept Chemezi in Austin. Yep. And then they have Lucas Simonich on the active roster, but he hasn't even got no playing time. He still has DNP, so he hasn't made his rookie start yet. And then, of course, our, our rookie minutes. And then they've been running a lot of Rudy Gay and Trey Lyles at the 5, uh, which we're going to talk about uh, Rudy Gay specifically in a little bit at the 5. Uh, that's going to be our next topic. But um, what have you thought about the, these injuries, especially to Pirtle? And my question also would be um, – If, like, let's just say we know within two to four weeks that they're definitely out of the playoff um, picture, do you think they'll even bring Perto back or just not even risk that?
1: That, That's interesting. I I feel like with the scenario that the Spurs are in, we'll probably see them be more honest with their injury report than they have Mm -hmm. been in the past. Uh, That's not to say they're not honest other times. It's just one of those things where they don't have anything to play for. Maybe it's a benefit to sit Marco on a night where he's probably feeling a little bit under the weather and, say, on the injury port illness and give Keldon Johnson those first quarter minutes like we saw the other night. Um, it, what I do find interesting, and it's not being talked about a lot, is that Chemezi Metu's on a non-guaranteed deal for next year. He's the only one in Austin. Quindary's up here. Luka's up here. Keldon's up here. And Drew Eubanks is on his two-way contract up here and starting. And it kind of tells you maybe where they see Chemezi. And the funny thing is Chemezi, I think, went off last night for like 32-15, and 15, oh, if wow. I remember right. So it, it's it maybe I don't I, I I talked about this on the on our Forever Toros podcast. You know, Chimezi seems like he's got a lot of tools, but there's always just a little he's got a lot of tweaks to his game that he needs to make before it's viable at the NBA level. And, you know, Drew Eubanks hasn't played great, but they're only asking for maybe, you know, six, seven minutes a half. And that's that's about all he's going to be good for, especially as he gets his feet wet. He's he has impressed me a little bit. Because you know me, I'm not a big Drew Eubanks fan, but at yeah. the same time, it's just it's a good experience for him, and it's it's something where I think next year can be his final year on a two way contract. So maybe they want to see what kind of value they've got there. Maybe they want to put him on the active roster and let Chimezi Metu go. Uh, I just I've been really impressed by Trey Lyles and Rudy Gay, which has been kind of mind blowing. And I, I know we're going to get to Rudy Gay at the five, but so out of the last. I think NBA, NBA stats on the advanced stats only had the last three games, which didn't count the Charlotte game. The mm-hmm. only lineup out of the top five with most minutes played was Gay, DeRozan, Mills, White, and Lonnie Walker was a plus 25 in 12 minutes of action. And then if you take in the Charlotte game, they were a plus 40 with an 83 pace, which <laughs> I, I don't understand whatsoever. But yeah, it, it seems like the Rudy Gay at center and he's kind of revitalized himself a little bit. Uh, he's, you know, he's obviously having a career low year by, by his standards, but in the last four, he's at 11.5 points per game, 5.5 rebounds, 2.3 assists outside of the scoring. Those are pretty on par with his career numbers. He's shooting 45%, which is a slight improvement. And then Trey Lyles 13 with six, uh, 6.8 rebounds per game and almost two steals, which is really impressive. So, uh, uh in my, <laughs> in daily fantasy terms, I've played Trey Lyle's a lot this week. Anyway. No, he, he's been playing really well.
0: And one of the first guys you talked about there was Chemezi. And I do want to address, you know, uh, his situation where you're right, John, it, it is surprising that with these injuries, you know, to their main two bigs, they're not even bringing Chemezi there. They're keeping him in Austin and and they do have to make a decision. They have, they basically have the rest of the season, and they have summer league to really see what Chimezie has to, to offer to the team if they even send him to summer league, which I think they would based on on how much we haven't seen him play in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. And then by August first is what the deadline says is that's so that's what they got to make their decision: are they going to keep him for next season? If not, they're not they don't have to guarantee his contract because he's on a non guaranteed deal starting next year. So um, yeah, that, that's an interesting you know question is or decision is you know what is going on with Chemezi? Why why don't they even at this time when they have some uh, rash of injuries? Why don't they at least try him out and see what he can do? Yeah. Um, so he said, yeah, maybe, maybe the, you know, we'll see, we'll see why. Maybe they don't evaluate him as high as, as, as what we see. Maybe sometimes next he goes on the court. What are you going to say?
1: Oh, you know, and real quick to answer your other question. I actually do think they'd bring Pirtle back, even if they're not in the playoffs, just because you'd probably want to see how he plays with the younger guys. Because we've seen, we saw the lineup of Keldon, Lonnie, uh, DJ on the floor. And i I've, I, I want to see if the Spurs feel like they, what, what that lineup would be like with Pirtle out there too. Because this is obviously someone you're going to have to commit 10 to 15 million to, and you want to know if he's going to be a part of your future. And if, if the case is that you don't, especially with how we've seen the results with Rudy Gay at the five, maybe that 10 to 15 is better off just saving it for extensions for these other younger guys in the future and letting Pearl go and maybe a sign and trade scenario, something like that
0: yeah so i actually I, I, thank you for reminding me there. I wanted to get back to, to per I'm, I'm a little bit different here so like let's say that he he recovers within two weeks well, then I can see them because then it's basically like you recover you get your date and then you have to go back and get re-examined and then you you they slowly start yeah. bringing you back so if it's the two week period, I definitely see that in play where like they start working him back and then we start seeing him come to games if it's the four week period, I just don't see it because looking at the calendar I mean let's just say he does the four weeks he gets back he text he checks his results and he's they're gonna start slowly bringing him back within there'll only be like a week of the season left I believe so mm-hmm. That's why. So I think that if it makes the four weeks, I I don't think we see him again. If it's the two week deadline or three week deadline, then for sure. So yeah, we'll see what happens with Purtle. And and I agree with you. That's that's interesting to 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 look at. You know, how does he mix around with with the. um with the with the younger guys and that younger group that he's supposed to play with next year uh, if his, because yeah he I think you know I'm with you I don't know if it'll go up to 15 million but I think for sure we could see a ten million dollar offer uh, yep. from the Spurs because you know I think that teams are definitely going to give him the um, non taxpayer middle level exception and so so if you're a team that wants him I think you got to beat that and, and the Spurs luckily do have his his bird rights and they can then they can um uh, match any free agent offer sheet that, that he gets because he's a restricted free agent so um yeah that, that's interesting to watch a yeah, and I'm also obviously, you know, depending on, uh, you know, when, when they're going to eventually like, you know, start start playing some of the younger guys, I am obviously eager to see Lucas Simonich at, at the NBA level. Yep. Uh, even, you know, it's probably going to be garbage time minutes early on. But, you know, just to see him because I know he hasn't he hasn't even got into the games yet. Uh, for San Antonio, uh, so now you you mentioned um uh, uh, Rudy Gay, and I really want to spend some time here on, on him. So uh, you know, I actually pulled those numbers as well, the ones that you had brought, uh, mentioned from nba.com dot uh, And actually, that was just in the last four games. I just put you know played over ten minutes, and, and you basically read them out there. So now I went to uh, cleaning the glass as well, and now that we have more data with Rudy at the five, because Pop had tried him out a, a few times, but not a lot. But lately, we've seen that in the last four games. Uh, I, now we have a bigger sample. Now it's not a great sample; it's still really small. But it is a bigger sample, and it's it's basically 129 possessions. So now we have 129 possessions with Rudy at the 5. Uh, the Spurs are scoring 106.2 points per 100, which is struggling. You know, it's a struggling number, but their defense is just awesome. They're holding teams to 92.2 points per 100. So I want to talk about the offense real quick for him, and then we'll go into the defense. So what are we seeing offensively? Uh, they're attacking the rim less than Spurs as a team by about 5%. They're they're shooting 3% less mid-range jumpers. They've increased their corner threes by 4% attempts. They've increased their non-corner threes by 4%. Their half-court offense has really struggled. It's gone down by 6%. Um, their offensive rebound percentage on half-court is down by 4%. They're getting you mentioned this, John, their transition is picked up They're They're going from 14 percent of their possessions in transition to eight to almost 19 percent uh, with Rudy at the five. Their offensive um, overall, it's not as efficient. Like I said, one ele- they score like about 112 and they're going they have gone down to 106 and then their free throw rate has gone down by about one only. So, so that's not a huge um, issue there. Now, on offense, what are we seeing again? We're seeing that the team overall is shooting more threes with him as a five because, again, they're spacing out the floor. There's more fast break opportunities, like we mentioned. They're less efficient in the half court. Check this out, though. Um, on one on one play, according to BballIndex.com, just on one on one play, Rudy goes from a B plus overall to an A minus when he's playing against centers. When he's listed as a center and he's going against, you know, just centers overall. So, so we are seeing that 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 you're, you're getting more out of Rudy on offense. And you mentioned the numbers yep. there. And and if you look at it, you know, his season average again. He scored 19 against Orlando recently. He scores 13 against Indiana, 10 against um, Charlotte. Uh, and then you know, he's, he's, he's he's doing well passing his rebounds numbers, his assist numbers, and also his block numbers have kind of increased too in this very small sample size. But uh, you're kind of seeing that, that the Spurs are getting more uh, uh, better production on the offensive end from Rudy with him as a five. Uh, and, and you're seeing that the team, uh, you know, they are struggling overall offensively, but they're at least shooting more threes uh, and spacing it out a little bit. So what do you want to say about his offense, what you've seen lately?
1: I feel like it fits more of how he's played this season because he's obviously struggled from three. So if maybe he can open up the floor for other people to shoot those threes, it's a good thing for the Spurs. Uh, Funny enough, it's just we saw Houston do it and we all kind of laughed at what Houston was doing with P.J. Tucker and Robert Covington at center. And then Mike Prada of SB Nation had an article today about how not only does it help them offensively, but defensively with these guys, it's like a bunch of middle linebackers out there where they cut off the point of attack and you kind of limit these opportunities in transition. You limit the opportunities in the paint. And, you know, the Spurs have always been an elite team at, you know, protecting the paint, but the three-pointers have been killing them. And it's something that now with Rudy at the center, they've done a great job of limiting that. And it's a good thing that they're limiting corner threes too because, I mean, obviously we've heard Mike D'Antoni's brother say the corner three is the most efficient shot in in all of basketball. And the the other efficient shot is any other three-pointer. So, yeah, it's just I, I don't think it's sustainable long term mm-hmm. just because you want someone a little more athletic, a little more nimble out there. But Rudy's build and the way the NBA's played these days, it, it's very reminiscent of of the G League, just because if you don't have an elite talent on offense or defense, you, you get these 10, these double digit leads. We'll, we'll, we'll just limit it to double digits because I know the Spurs have been terrible when they're up 10, 15, 20 <laughs> doesn't matter. Uh, you you get these teams that if they can just start hitting threes, they kind of go on a run and it just snowballs on you and they come back really quickly. And, and that's why we see these mid-tier teams constantly blowing double-digit leads because anyone can get back into a game these days. And if you can limit those opportunities, it's going to be better for the Spurs. And if they can create more of that, especially with Lonnie, I think he's up to almost 40% shooting from three or if not over 40. And we, we want to see how he is off the catch. We've seen DJ open up the you know his mid-range a little bit more, even taking good mid-range contested jumpers constantly. And mm-hmm. it's it's probably going to help Derek White too because Derek White's someone that has played so many different roles with this team this year. Obviously, we, we didn't get what we wanted out of him this season, but it's probably going to help him. I, I think yesterday was the only time was uh, against Charlotte when he got overly aggressive, instead of feeding Rudy, he went to the basket. And that's somewhere even Bill Land was saying, or Sean Elliott was saying, you got to give it to Rudy there. You have to give it to Rudy there. And it's just, it's something to see moving forward. Rudy's obviously committed, I think, another $14 million next season. You want to be able to get something out of that. And you don't want another career low year. I don't think we'll ever see production like last year again. It's just someone that can space the floor. And if he can cut off the point of attack like we're seeing with Houston, then it's even more money for them.
0: Yeah, for sure, and, and uh, you you kind of hinted at some of the d- defensive stuff, and uh, and I want to kind of go into some of the numbers, and then also kind of what 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 the what the numbers say, and what I'm seeing with the eye test. So so what are we seeing on defense? Whenever he's a five, uh, you know, teams are getting to the rim, but just one percent more in terms of their attempts. So that's yep. not bad if it's just a one percent increase. Mid range, they're taking about one percent more of their shots, which is a good thing for the Spurs defense. The corner threes actually are going up by about three percent. But here's the big <laughs> one. and You just mentioned this, John. The non-corner threes. So the Spurs allow almost 29% of opponent shots to be non-corner threes on the average night. That's 26 terrible. Now they've decreased that by 7%. And again, that's the whole ballgame for the Spurs. When you, when you just look at their, their scoring from twos, from threes, and from the free throw line, they're always getting out scored from three just this entire season. That's their biggest gap and why they're a bad team. And so if you can limit that and you're a low-volume three-point shooting team as it is, you're at least evening the math game. And that's what we're seeing. That's the biggest draw there is that the fact that when Rudy is a five, they're able to, to kind of contest more, get out there, uh, out on the three and, and limit opponent three-point attempts for the non-corner three. The half-court defense is just, I mean, the numbers, like I said, it's a small sample size, so just listen to this. Normally, they, they, they hold teams to 97.4 points per 100 in the half-court, which is 25th. It's bad. However, with Rudy as a five, they're at they're holding them to seventy five point two. That's almost uh, you know twenty two uh, uh, points per one hundred difference right there. That, that's really good. Um, the, the teams are offensive rebounding, you know, grabbing more boards because Rudy's a five, so he's a little bit smaller. Uh, and then, um, they're, oh yeah, the Spurs' transition defense has has gotten better with Rudy as a five. The defense overall, like I mentioned, and then the free throw rate has gone up a little bit. They're fouling a lot more with Rudy as a five. So, so my overall key takeaways from this data is that they're limiting non corner threes. Huge. Uh, they're they're playing some lockdown defense in the half court. I also think the players that pops putting around him, we saw a lot of Kelton Johnson the other night. We was like, you yes. mentioned John, you saw, yes. you saw Lonnie Walker, you see either D- Derek or DeJounte. So he has good defenders now, athletic players that are out there with him. So, um, you know, and, and so you see that in, in the numbers, it's painting that picture, uh, and then just better overall defense, according to B ball index, um, his perimeter defensive grade, overall it's a C plus, but when he's going against as a five, he it goes up to a B. So his perimeter defense goes up, gets better. His interior defense, as we would think, it's normally an A minus and it goes down to a D because again he's a smaller player, he's gonna struggle against some of, some of your traditional bigs. So um yeah, so so I, I know you you talked a little bit about the defense, but is there anything else you want to mention there?
1: Yeah, it's just uh, his ability to square up against a center, obviously, because especially with his advanced age, his injury history, we have saw him getting blown by a lot when he was even at a four, and him guarding these centers. I think the only time we've seen a, a real dominant big beat the Spurs was Indiana, and it wasn't even him. It was Trey Lyles doing whatever he could against Demonis Sabonis, who's an all-star, and mm-hmm. and that's how Indiana beats you, is just slowing down the pace, going into the paint, and since San Antonio couldn't have the scoring to match it, they just obviously lost that game after coming back. But it, it's just it, it's going to be interesting with LaMarcus supposedly coming back against Brooklyn. How they move forward? Maybe a good lineup would be you know starting Rudy Gay, but I don't think you want to take Trey Lyles out. So I, I think moving forward, it's going to rely more on Trey Lyles, but also seeing where LaMarcus can defend these centers because if you're going to put all five guys on the perimeter, LaMarcus is obviously slower than Gay is. And the bench unit is going to have to deal without Pirtle. So maybe we don't see Eubanks minutes at all. We just see more Rudy Gay at the five, which would benefit the bench unit a lot more. But it's that final, the closing unit is what I want to see moving forward with Aldridge and DeRozan, how that works defensively when you have Rudy Gay out there too.
0: Yeah, for sure. And one thing I wanted to mention was that they've actually increased their opponent turnovers on drive. So when teams are driving against some in these last three, four games with, with three at to five, they're increasing the turnovers of making them turn the ball over. Uh, I agree with you there that even if Aldridge comes back on Friday – on on their next game, should I say? Um, I think that we are going to see, you know, and that when it comes to the second, you know, I think you're going to see more pop immediately going back to the to Rudy at the five, and then you know whether that's Marco at the four or um or even like uh, you know switching up the minutes where Lyles gets some minutes with him back at the four. Yep. I think that that's something we're going to see with with the injury to pertle Um, I, I don't think unless it's like a team that plays a lot of traditional bigs, I don't think you'll see a lot more uh, of the Drew Eubanks minutes when when Aldridge is back and healthy. Um, all right, so, John, so let's go ahead and get ready to close this episode out. Um, before we end this episode, I want to remind you all to visit ProjectSpurs.com. Fernando Garcia's latest piece is on assessing development of the Spurs' youth part two. Colin Reed's audio extra is on the topic of rebuilding. And, John, you have two new projects you've, you've been working on. Um, can you let the listeners know about this?
1: Yes, yes. Real excited. Um, Mike and I have become FanDuel nerds. Uh, I started recently going back to DraftKings. It's something I've been doing for years, but now doing it at a more – not, not as casual of a level. And so, you know, there's a lot of websites out there that want to charge you for interactive access for read access. And so we, we partnered up with, you know, one of our partners is lineups lineups has great free projections. It's not always accurate. It's not always, but it's, it's constantly refreshed and it's free. That's the biggest thing we want to get to. And moving forward, I think it's a good thing that we, we start covering the Spurs more in a, in a daily fantasy sport aspect so right now we're, we're tinkering with the format, but like the first article we did was three guys that are probably going to be really heavily targeted in daily fantasy games. So we had Demar Rosen, who came off a struggling game. Uh, we had Trey Lyles, who was a really excellent value pick while Marcus was out, even though his price shot up like a thousand bucks. And Drew Eubanks who was a popular punt play because he's starting. Maybe if he can max out, you know, a couple, maybe like 20 minutes, he'd be worth the price tag. So every game, we're going to kind of go in there and do in-depth coverage on who to play for your daily fantasy stuff. Just search for it on site. We'll probably start, we'll probably find a section for it, but I think it's going to be interesting moving forward, you know, to cover a more sports gambling aspect of, of the Spurs anyway. It gives you something else to look forward to if, when the Spurs aren't winning games. So if you want to go jump into FanDuel, stuff like that, it, we. I, I promise you lineups is a good tool. You know, we're not we're not pros out here, but it's a good way to make money and it's a good way to have some fun with the basketball season. Uh, the second project, something I absolutely love, it, it took 18 months, but we finally came out with it is the Forever Toros podcast, which is for the Austin Spurs. Uh, my girlfriend did the artwork. So everyone knows Gabby by now. Uh, it came off an idea. I had it at like three in the morning and I text her, hey, if we do this, I want to do it this way. Obviously, you were a, a guest on on the Spurs on six podcast when we had it that way. I've also got a producer friend of mine, Corbin, who has done our intro music. So mm-hmm. it, it's a real personal project, and I, I'm proud to have it out there. We'll be recording biweekly. Me, Mike, Jonas Clark, or Austin Spurs beat writer. And it, it's just another depth, in-depth in look at the Austin guys. And obviously, we haven't been able to look at them a lot right now. But we'll be covering stuff like you know, San Antonio has an open roster spot. If the Spurs are struggling, maybe a Dedrick Lawson or Dalton Holmes. Or uh, even Jeff Ledbetter could be a good story to get a 10-day contract. You never know. And it's it's something that we just want to talk about. We want to give Austin a little bit more love, a little more coverage. And they'll be making the playoffs this year almost certainly. So it's something else to give us (laughs) hope moving forward. That's good.
0: I didn't think about that, that the G league team, I make the playoffs and the real team does Yeah, <laughs> and the, the NBA team doesn't, not the real team, the NBA team, uh, real quick on the, on the fantasy stuff. Cause I don't play fantasy and I have like a lot of my followers are fantasy people because they like to know the lineups and stuff that come yeah. out. Uh, anyway, oh, yeah. uh, how much are, are assists weighted in, in that? How do they do? Do you get a lot of uh, points for? I mean, do you get a lot of like? I, I guess like, is there a reward there for a lot of assists? Cause like, just think about last night. Uh, DeRozan only has twelve points. You know, he looks like a bad night, but then he ends up getting mm-hmm. ten assists, and that ends up becoming like 20, 27 – I mean, uh, it's he got twenty seven points and assists, so he ends up basically being responsible for thirty nine of their points. Does that weigh at
1: all the assists or not? Not really in fantasy. So points points are weighed differently across both sites. Um mm-hmm. I I did not play DeRozan last night. I did not think he was going to be a good play. And I was a little bit wrong about that. I played Trey Lyles which oh, kind of so, cost so he me did? So and last night, he actually... hurt. He was yeah, oh, okay. it, 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 I, you're trying okay, to shoot okay. for for maxing out their value compared to the salary. And so the the only difference I like FanDuel more but with DraftKings rebounds, assists and scoring are more important. FanDuel mm-hmm. gives you a lot more credit for blocks and steals. And plus the FanDuel lineup is completely different with a higher salary than it is with DraftKings. Um, But yeah, like, like DeRozan, I think I'm trying to think what game it was. I want to say the Orlando game. He was a popular pick and ended up kind of performing around average, but the Charlotte game was, was more, his value went up, his salary Mm -hmm. went up and then it was actually, he actually did pretty good value wise. So it's, it's a tricky thing. Like you've got these guys that are analysts and have their own projections and their own systems out there and, a ton of money to bankroll these crazy lineups and they keep funneling that money in. But you know, it's one of those things where we just want to provide a different side because if you can build up a small bankroll and start playing other lineups and more lineups and stuff like that, it's something we want to help with. And with lineups projections and our analysis, I think it's going to be a pretty good project moving forward. It's worthy of your time. If you want to get into daily fantasy stuff and don't want to play regular ESPN fantasy basketball. (laughs)
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So, so those of you Spurs cast listeners, if, you're, if you play fantasy basketball, uh, you know, using some of the sites that John mentioned there, uh, definitely check it out. It's over on projectspurs.com. And then also check out the forever Toros podcast, uh, uh, look for that as well wherever the podcasts are, are distributed. Uh, as always, continue to check out Steven Anderson's work uh, for his analysis after each game and then also sign up to become a product's First Premium member if you haven't done so. Uh, this episode was re- written and recorded by me, Paul Garcia. As always, thank you to Michael DeLeon for mixing and producing this episode. So, for John Diaz, I am Paul Garcia. Thank you. Have a great day.